0: It's a, a gradual process, but it does have you know clear horizons, and they are favourable to the future that everybody wants to live in um, from a political perspective towards livestock farming. And I would sum that up very simply. I use the three E's of economics, ethics, and efficiency. Uh, sorry, environment, and they're the three things that I want to see us working towards in terms of efficiency, because that's a a future world aspiration that surrounds us politically. Everybody wants that to happen. We can make it happen to our benefit um, economically as pig
1: farmers. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Zinpro, Essential Trace Minerals, Exceptional Performance. Ivonic, We Are Sciencing the Global Food Challenge. AB Vista, New Nutritional Perspectives and Novel Enzyme Applications to Drive Pig Production. Genesis, The First Power in Genetics. Gestall. Always one step ahead in swine feeding. Odiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool.
2: Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode.
1: This episode's sponsored highlight is about Evonic Animal Nutrition. Ivonic stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Ivonic turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers.
2: Hello everyone, I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine podcast. And with me today, I have Stephen Hall. Hello, Stephen, how are you today?
0: Hi, Laura, I'm fine, thank you. Nice to see you.
2: Nice to see you. Well, we're glad to have you on uh, the podcast today and I was listening to your story before we started and it's it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, maybe yep. give our audience just a little bit of background about who you are and, and how you've gotten to where you're at. And okay. I am particularly interested in this passion, right? That as to why you're, yeah. you're going the route that you're going. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, am a town boy. Um, I didn't grow up in the countryside, although the town is a, a, a small town, um, no farming background as such directly, um, went, uh, work um or really to play would be a better way of putting it with friends um out in the countryside once I went up to the secondary level of education in this country um and one of the lads I used to go out and see um his father had a small holding and I just fell in love with farming on this small holding he had pigs he had cattle he had poultry um, and they all had the same ration Um, we would go round the local hotels and the abattoir on a Saturday collecting bins of food and offal bring them all home cook them in a massive boiler mix them up with some barley meal put them into hessian sacks and then take them out to feed the animals and in the winter that was lovely because it was warm so it was warm on your back but I absolutely fell in love and particularly with the pigs the pigs was always what I wanted to do and uh, so from the age of 12 really I've not wanted to do anything else but work in in pig production and I've had a, a, a blessed lifetime in this industry I'm just coming up to my 68th birthday I shall keep going till I'm gone but I've had a wonderful journey through which has taken me through years of working on the farm working in breeding companies working in the software the pig recording industry and for the last eight years combining the experiences of all those different areas into working directly again with pig farmers helping them to improve their efficiency on farms so that's my that's my story really
2: that's absolutely
0: fascinating and what are you doing with carbon um, well, very simply, we wanted to try, and or I, I wanted to try and find a reference point because there are so many conversations about carbon at the moment. And if I'm really honest, and I'm not a scientist, I'm a, uh, you know, I, as I said, I've got no certificates to my name. But I'm finding it all very confusing because there's all sorts of ideas flying around. And I thought, can I help people like me, you know, um, pigman, to find a reference point that I can then take to the carbon scientists? So what i've done is i've said okay non-productive days we call them carbon days and i can tell you how many carbon days and everything in that index by the way i should have said this is per 100 sows so we're not looking at herd size here initially we're looking per 100 sows so i've done carbon days per 100 sows in each of the life cycle cohorts within the index and it's a massive difference huge difference you know somebody's in double figures and somebody's got a five figure number in, in non-productive days. Per 100 sows within their production within a life cycle cohort, which only stretches over three to four years max, really. So that's one thing. You've got a comparison there of the non productive days, and we've given them a new title because they are carbon, you know, inefficient carbon days. And then we've got carbon life cycles. So, how many life cycles per 100 sows are we producing that obviously needs a carbon measure against it? But this is the reference point i can tell you within the index on a separate page per 100 sows how many life cycle uh, carbon life cycles per sow there are and the resulting progeny how many progeny carbon life cycles per 100 sows and then how many tons per one and this is not carbon this is actually output but it's showing you how many tons um, per life cycle that you know this herd and these individuals or these hundred sales are producing and they're all figures that are not been there before so we we've got some new references and and my feelings are that if i can get this kind of data out of conventional standard data and i can put it in front of people like yourself you will then take it on and think okay that's a that's either a good reference point or it isn't. And if it is, you then know how to take that reference point. And and I'm looking for somebody who can say, Okay, here's a a square of board. I'm going to cut that with a jigsaw. I'm going to cut it into twelve, fourteen pieces. That single square of board is my carbon life cycle. But I want you to name each of those pieces. Now, I don't know how to do that. I don't even know where to begin to look, but you do. So I would like you to start to help me here and help pig producers because it's a collaborative thing that the together in Guilt watch together is actually about the whole supply chain working together. When I go on farm, I go to what I would call a collaborative management strategy meeting, and I expect the vet to be there i expect the nutritionists to be there and at certain times i expect the supplying companies genetics whatever else and and i'm just there with the data and i'm saying this is what i found in the data and we have some terrific um meetings because they're bringing their expertise their scientific expertise their 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 knowledge which is way beyond my own um and they're bringing it to bear on on data so for me i see I was used to genetic pyramids when i worked with the breeding companies i now see an information pyramid and at the very top of that the pinnacle of that information period is data and it disseminates down through the levels and through the, the filter of the expertise of the various people involved till it gets to the bottom to the commercial level of production which immediately creates fresh data to put back up at the pinnacle. So it's a cyclical movement of data through the expertise of the industry to the benefit of the pig producer. That's how I see it, Really, I'm curious, Stephen, um,
2: in all of this that you've been working on, have you had a chance at this point to to evaluate how this has changed your retention rates within your sow herds or shifted the productivity dynamic, right? So whether that's the farrowing rate or, or retention
0: rate. Well, certainly what we did with the faring rate was an early win. You know, that was a low hanging fruit. Uh, The retention rates in farms that I've been working with are steadily improving, Um, but that's improving uh, through selection on. So if you if you're selecting from an older sow, you've already got some longevity. If you look at elite genetic populations. I I would argue with anyone there's no longer there's no proof of longevity in those populations apart from your indexing, but you're not indexing for longevity. So yeah, you know, I don't see any there's there's nothing authentic about claiming longevity in elite populations of genetic um, you know, houses. Having said that, I think the work they do is fantastic and I'm so excited about the genomic work they're doing. So it's not a criticism, it's a practical observation. So by selecting for firing rate, you're automatically selecting for longevity. But the longevity that we need to harness much more quickly, because there's there's a period to wait for that, is the understanding of why we're messing so many guilts up. And that brings me back to the start. I want to know the weight. I want to know the age. And I want to know to at every stage of development. And then I can do something about it. So for me, fundamentally, the bit that's been missed out for most of my working life is the importance of husbandry. Pig husbandry is fundamental to the success of everyone who's supplying the pig industry. So you might have the best genetics in the world, but if I'm rubbish in my pig husbandry, your genetics are valueless. Um, And I think we need to shift back. We need to shift the emphasis back towards pig husbandry to which everybody can make a contribution, but which I think elevates the people doing the the 24-7 bit, you know, the ones who are amongst the muck and bullets, if you like. I think we can actually change the way they work and we can work with the best of who they are because I think husbandry is creative. I think it uses imagination Um, and I think there are qualities in people like myself at that lower level of uh, within the industry working in the commercial production. And I don't see it as levels in that sense, but that's where they're committed. That's where my passion lays. You know, um, there are qualities within me that are not going to be used if I'm told that this animal is prolific. So we just expect it to produce big litters. You know, where do I fit in that? And if it doesn't produce big litters, you know, why isn't it producing big litters? Am I failing in my husbandry? You know, and if I am, well, then give me the information I need to put into practice all the things that I'm good at, you know. And in my case, it would be, you know a sensitive lad who cares and 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 won't let anything die and you know let let's take those qualities that there's so what takes people into farms a lot of the time there's a lot of people who maybe didn't do well academically not necessarily because they're not clever but maybe they have dyslexia or something like that and it, they just found the whole thing too challenging but you see those people at work and you help them and you inform their husbandry skills and you see them flourish and we all need to flourish in this and we're only going to flourish if we collaborate and if we're not protective of our own little empire, but we're part of a much bigger empire, which we can all make a, contribution to i'm very fortunate i i actually do some um some journalism over here and i have a a comment and analysis column and i will often describe some of the people advising our industry as the emperor's tailors <laughs> doesn't go down well but i do really mean it you know we are we're not being advised as we should be and you're trying to tell me something which i just know isn't isn't going to work you know and there we go <laughs> I've got one friend I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> one of the other things I heard you say that that kind of caught my attention um, was zero tolerance on rebreeding failures. Yeah. And so what I think I heard you say was that was for guilt. So yeah. Yeah. first time we breed her or essentially she's not a she's not out of the guilt until second time we breed her. Yeah. Is, is that the only place you're talking about zero no. talent?
0: <laughs> no, oh, <okay. laughs> I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm talking about across the board in the end, but it, it's very indicative. It's a very good question, Laura, because this happens in stages. You know, you've got to, well, I've got to remember, I've been doing this. I started it 10 years ago. I went to work for myself eight years ago. I've pursued this. I've had to learn, and unlearn some of the things I thought I'd learned. And so, you know, we started with zero tolerance because it's part of the process control. So why would you recite If if the breeding company's told me that's how much she needs to weigh, that's how much she needs to have back fat on her, and that's how old she needs to be. If she fails three or six weeks down the road, she's not that animal anymore. So what's the cumulative impact of bringing her back because one i've got to push a guilt out of the team i've got set in here and people will argue and say ah but you know um we've paid for her you know and 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 she's an investment you're not investing in the individual animal in that sense you're investing in the herd and you're investing in controlling that herd and i believe the economic return on that perspective of investment is greater than the investment on the individual in the individual animal and over here in the uk i don't know about anywhere else in the world but i get clobbered over the head constantly with but when i cull a sow she pays for a guilt there is a uh, part of uh, uh, one of the main guilt watch report which evaluates how much the cull sows have cost that unit on average and it will be anywhere north of what it costs to buy a guilt and sometimes it will have paid for two gilts, depending on the, the you know, if you've got a 10th parity unit, you know, you're looking at twice the cost of a gilt in some of the value of, that the says have used up because they're accruing those carbon days that we talked about earlier. If you've got a, a herd structure parity profile of one to 10 parities or one to eight even, and you have a say which fails two or three times in that time, but you take a right through to eight or 10 par- She will have cost you um, probably twice as much as it would have cost you to replace her at the time when she first failed. So zero tolerance does actually stand up in economic terms um, because failure just incrementally keeps on adding cost to the business. So you hit failure at the first you know, the first sign of failure, you take it out. And I know that's a difficult one for all of us as stock people, um, but we are talking about business efficiency here and sentiment is one of the dangers in our industry without any doubt. And, and I find that hard to say because I, I am a compassionate person by nature and that is why I got into farming in the first place. But sentiment is, it doesn't fit in the economic model of pig production. That that's the shame of it. But then if we improve everything we do, we will be culling far less and we'll be taking less pigs out of the feed, we'll euthanizing less pigs in the feeding herd. So it's a a gradual process, but it does have you know clear horizons and they are favorable to the future that everybody wants to live in um, from a political perspective towards livestock farming. And I would sum that up very simply. I use the three E's of economics, ethics and efficiency, uh, sorry, environment. And they're the three things that I want to see us working towards in terms of efficiency, because that's that's a future world aspiration that surrounds us politically. Everybody wants that to happen. We can make it happen to our benefit um, economically as pig farmers. But it means, you know, taking a fresh look at, at how we're performing in terms of data analysis, and that's life cycle analysis, really.
2: And I, if this is a really good conversation, and I probably could talk to you for hours on, on this, but <laughs> unfortunately our, our time is limited.
1: Right. It is time to our famous three Genesis is the largest independent producer of high, healthy, registered purebred swine on the globe, having over 80% of all registered purebred breeding stock in Canada. The Genesis genetic program uses genomic selection strategies focused on productivity, faster growth, efficiency, high yield, and meat quality. To know more, go to Genesis.com. That's G-E-N-E-S-U-S scom for knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com.
2: We do ask our, our guest speakers just a couple of, of questions that's kind of key to, to all of our podcasts. And yeah. the first one we like to ask is, are there any uh, swine resources or books that you would recommend to our audience to help them with the information that, that you're talking about today or just in general?
0: Um, I do. I, I... I wrote a small book uh, a long time ago, which I would have to update, I'm afraid, at the moment. I'm not referencing anything out there. I think I would encourage people to have a higher expectation of what they know from their experience And then to bring that to bear on the data that they are looking at. And if they cannot extract from that data, the life cycle analysis, then to, to come back and say, well, okay, how, you know, how do you do that? Or how, how can we do that? And that's a conversation that I would love to have with the industry, you know, across the board. One of my. Ambitions is to be able to provide this kind of service to consultants all over the world, um, so that they can, and that's what I'm working on. That's what I'm writing at the moment. Okay. So this is the analysis. So what does it mean and where do I go to look? Because. You know, one person cannot be a consultant to every pig farmer. And at my age, (laughs) I'm not planning that. But I would love to help the younger generation of consultants coming in. We have a very exciting, you know, the two generations coming up behind me are, you know, far cleverer than I am. And they've got some exciting prospects. So, yeah, I think you'd have to ask questions at this point. I'm not referencing anything um, at the moment with what I'm doing, but I am hoping to write that, that reference up um at some point
2: well how about something that's not related to your work are there any books that you'd recommend or our, our audience to just pick up and read or is there anything that you're reading currently that you're enjoying
0: um yeah, I think anything around process control um that helps people to understand what process control is and what it does. My uncle explained it to me this way. In the I think it was this, between the wars, um, they looked at the um the quality of, of munitions after the, the awful Great War that we they had been through and and how they could predict how w- well each shell or bullet or whatever would perform. And they couldn't. They did. You fire it and it's gone, basically. So how did that do? So they did th- that's where process control began to take place. And I know it happened a lot in the Japanese automotive industry as well, which was my uncle's experience. But the idea that you could test one bullet and know what the other 50 would do is is the basis of process control he that was what he said to me at the time in our conversation and it's led to where i am today with life cycle analysis so anything around process control is is interesting and gives you starts to open up your thinking about how things happen and why they happen and, and how we can improve them and to add to that if you want to look at process control look at total quality as well the thing the japanese industry developed because that is superb that really is and and that that's an important factor in what we do really yeah boring aren't i (laughs) no very good how
2: how about um if you think of somebody that in all of your your work and travels that you've defined as successful and success can look different to many different people so
0: However you define success. Uh, well, the, the the success, I would define somebody that I know and have experience of working with. Um, he would be a pain in just about everybody's backside that I've ever gone on farm with him too. But he has been successful because he has altered people's way of thinking. And it's the vet, John Carr. Um, I've known John for many years. Um, and I, I love him to bits because he just gets up everybody's nose with what he has to say. But I'm totally with him in that. If you don't. If you don't kind of jar somebody's thinking, if you just go along with what they're doing and, yeah, that looks fine to me, then that's to me, that's not success. If you've got a million customers because you agree with all of them, that's not success. If you've only got one because you disagree with everyone, to me, that's success because the one has stayed with you, has stayed with you for a reason. You might have got up their nose. But their business is doing much better than it was before you went to them. So that's my definition of success, and that's a painful life, unfortunately. A successful life in that respect is a painful life, but if you're passionate about something, that pain isn't you know doesn't really come into it. you know you see incremental improvements that you know are going to be sustained, and the repeatability that I spoke about earlier, you're, you're guaranteed the repeatability. And I think that's important. So, yeah, John is the he's my uh, he's my lodestar. <laughs> Perfect.
2: Perfect. Well, again, Stephen, we want to thank you for your
0: time on our podcast. Oh, thank today. you. Thank it's, you. It's been a pleasure, a real pleasure and a privilege.
2: Yes, it's been fascinating. And and again, for our audience, this is Stephen Hall with Guilt Watch together. And um I'm sure if you if any of you have questions, you can reach out to Stephen
0: oh, and yes. he'll be happy yeah, to. To, to direct map, you
2: yeah thank you again steven
0: thank care. you Laura. thank you very much and you bye bye
1: imagine if with a few key concepts you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by dr marcio gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists additionally you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to eliteswinenutritionist.com.